welcome to the next episode of Humans of SDU. This is Martin and Anna. And today we are going to talk to Xian, an exchange student from Taiwan. And also our good friend and a floor mate. So sit back, relax and enjoy our next episode. Welcome Xian. Thank you very much for joining us today. Yes, thank you for inviting me. Yeah, and I will maybe start right and jump right into it. As as I said, this is not well. This is your exchange period here in Denmark, but this is not your first exchange experience. You already had one at high school, which for me is a bit uh, yes particular. Oh, a few, yeah, a few years ago. Can you tell us something about that? Okay, so um, uh, as Martin just said, I'm doing exchange right now in Denmark, and my exchange. It's gonna last for one year, but this is not my first experience on exchanging. My first experience of exchange was during the 2014 to 15, and uh, it was in Belgium. And back then I was a high school student and I had this opportunity to take part in a program called Rotary Youth Exchange. So you so spent one year in Belgium? Yes, also. yeah, and it was, uh, like the the funny part about about it was because that um you don't need to pay a lot of extra money to be part be able to participate this program but instead you need to kind of exchange um like so you get a belgium student for you at home afterwards yes that's that's yeah. the similar mm -hmm. idea that that it's kind of your it's kind of a funny thing that I always say that it's just for parents to swap their kids <laughs> and this and then this key this kids comes from like different countries and different yeah. cultural background and everything so you were the swapped kid yeah <laughs> yeah and as I went to Belgium that means like the whole year and I will be staying with different host families and then at the same time my parents they'll be taking care of different kids from different countries as well oh nice okay so how how old were you at that point I was 17. Yeah. Uh -huh. And how yeah. was it uh, first time living, well, your country, first time in Europe? I yeah, guess. yeah, yeah. How true. was that? How did you perceive yeah. that as a 17 year old? It's like, I remember back then people, I think the first first month when I got into Belgium, people always asked me the same question. So what's the difference between here and Taiwan? And I couldn't even name one because for me, everything is so different. And um, now I look, well, I could sum up that it was a very tough experience for me as a 17-year-old. In what way? What was the tough thing? What was the toughest thing about it? Uh, trying to fit in into a new group. Okay. Mm. Yes, that I think that's, that's what I used to focus a lot on because I went to a local high school that most of the kids had never talked to a foreigner before. So uh, it, it was very, it was a very new thing for my like fellow Belgium friends as well. Yeah, mm. so, oh, and most of them don't, don't speak English. So at least, or maybe they prefer to speak in French. So for me, the biggest challenge that I realized the first day I got into school is like, I gotta work on my French. I gotta work on my French. Did it help you? Eventually? <sighs> well, like not the first, uh, I would say the first two months I was just a, 
being confused as hell every day <laughs> in class and then I see I see that many people look at you with their sim- sympathy mm-hmm. but they can't do anything for you because they don't know how to communicate yeah. in English that well yeah but I think the turning point is uh, one of the teacher in that high school who uh, had several years of experience living in China mm. but of course he's a he's a Belgium and then he came to me and he's like being very strict and serious and look at me like you 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 have to try to do something yeah and he's like you know you can't wait for this kids to accept you and take and show you around because as long as you don't speak the language it's hard to open them mm. yeah so he put me into well like and then he gave me a phone number saying that I should call the language school and so I did and then I went to the language school, but it was overdue to their class re-registration time. They were like, oh, you were just one day late. And I was like, when, <laughs> when can I take the next course? I really need it. Like, yeah, to catch up with my, like, my study at school and also to get to know people. And she's like, oh, yeah. It was September. She's like, you could wait after Christmas. <laughs> and then I was so frustrated and I just when leave the institution and then I started crying (laughs) yeah on my way home it's like it's my first month in Brussels and I have never discovered that city by myself and the first time I did was to you know hop on the metro to look for this this language language. yeah Yeah. this Mm. French language school yeah but did you know any French before you not at all yeah so that that was the naive part it's like me now as a 20 Yes. Yes, I'm 22. <laughs> As a 22-year-old, I I would be like more prepared before I go somewhere, knowing that okay, language will will not be a problem. But back then, I think that's the whole point of this youth exchange program that they kind of just throw you in that environment, and then you have to emerge yourself Survive. in it. Mm. Yeah. So the first mission was really get to like know the culture and the language and so on. And mm-hmm. also uh, another thing about that program is that you change your host family every three months because they believe that in that way you could see different sides of... Yeah, you experience more. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. So how long did it actually take you to start feeling comfortable? Uh, you mean, do you mean feeling comfortable in speaking French or... Uh, like generally, there. yeah, living there. Yeah, mm, living in Belgium. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, I think uh, for me the living part, the the living part has always been comfortable, be- but because I had a very supportive host families. Okay, so that helped. Yeah, that that mm. that really helped a lot. Yeah, it's like it's like whenever like I go to school and then there are some challenges or I feel like I'm uh, excluded from you know like those people who are supposed to be my friends and <laughs> but they don't speak english so they don't want to talk to me that kind of you know <laughs> complex that yeah. you blame yourself and you blame others but when i go home it's like a completely loving like supportive like environment and i think it's also because my host families they had their experiences of being a foreigner in a, in other countries as well so that make them very very understanding Mm-hmm. Like my host family, they they're Belgium. My first uh, host parents there, but they both uh, grew up in Congo. 
so they're like cologne so they have this colonial background and then they when they see me they always like tell me it's gonna be fine it's the same with us when we first you know arrive in this country even though we come from this country and then we speak french we we are legitimately from here but people just don't look at us the Mm. same way and then yeah sometimes you can't blame them it's like you always have to make an effort to try to get people to know you yeah yeah and i'm wondering have you ever talked to your parents how it was for them to host all the kids throughout the year while you were gone Yes, and I, I've all, I've actually saw it because uh, right before I went to Belgium, and then the first uh, kid of the first swapped kids that my parents <laughs> received, they sh- she arrived in Taiwan mm-hmm. like two days earlier than I depart. So I actually had two days to, you know, get along with her, and she's from Brazil. Mm-hmm. Yes, and she also had a she later also built a really close bond with my parents. So, um, did they enjoy the year? Yes, yes, they, they, like, they did. And then I think from my parents, I see also the same thing that I saw from my uh, Belgium host parents is that unconditionally, like, loving and support. Because mm-hmm. it's funny, like, for my parents, they don't speak English. Oh, not at all. Not, not that much. But of course, <laughs> later they learn to communicate with their, their, like, their their students at home it's yeah. like rice water <laughs> bubble milk tea you yeah. like good yeah. bad mm, okay school no don't be late you know like <laughs> something you know easy and then yeah yeah and i'm really i'm 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 also very surprised it's like i don't think i can take care of someone if i can't communicate with them but i think that's a really a power for parents that they take care of you if they want to take care of you. Yeah, they don't yeah. care. <laughs> yeah, that's nice. Sorry. Yeah. It just reminded me that the time when I was in Taiwan, mm. uh, completely the same, the same story. I was living in a family and the lady, very nice, very supportive. And she, she also didn't speak English. At the, I think she, she, she does speak English quite well, we could understand, but she was mm-hmm. kind of afraid to talk in English and she uses the Google Translator mm. all the time. I was writing Chinese and then she played it for me in English <laughs> and it, it kind of worked, you know, we, yeah. So when you want to talk to people, you always find a way how to, how mm. to do that. Yeah, and I also think that they've long passed that age of being awkward or being shy about their language skills. Like, for them, it's about expressing their ideas. But I think for me, at least, uh, what I remember when I first started learning, let's say, French in Belgium, I was very shy using it mm. to someone I don't know. Because, like, I'm, I was always thinking, ah... Oh, yeah, I'm going to be awkward, right? Yeah. Embarrass myself. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and I believe many people had that problem, but I Absolutely. think it's just... Yeah, for... for for parents, not just my parents, but <laughs> I think for parents in general, they like, don't care anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, all right, but that already says something about your international outlook, let's say. But on the top of that, you also have a boyfriend from a different country. 
So you're Taiwanese and he's Icelandic, yes. which seems like a very unique combination to me. <laughs> How did that happen, please? Um, it happened by, by accident. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, but um, like we had a, a, we had a, let's say a story that we always like to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, like just between ourselves because um, the first time that I met this person I never thought he would become someone special or someone important to me because it was uh, uh, around two years ago I went to Iceland to travel and visit my local friend there and then like I had a one or two uh, days mm-hmm. Uh, meeting meeting my boyfriend back then he was just a friend uh, a friend of my friend and then we had some nice talks and we watched movie and then he was extremely shy (laughs) 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 but 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 I could see that he's a very nice person but then after then I after my travel in Iceland I left I simply left and I didn't thought that this would lead to anything that but then we started talking uh just as any people try to contact each other in long distance, we talked through sending each other messages. And back then it was a really exciting thing because I'm used to uh, talking to people with messages, with all my friends Mm. that I met from exchange, with my Belgium host family, that my whole social, uh, my like, that my social life on the internet was basically talking to all these people that I know and then who live in different time zones and all that. But just this particular guy that I was very afraid to talk to, like every time, (laughs) every day his message comes and I'm like, should I open it now? (laughs) Should I see you later? And then every time I open it, it brings me a smile and I'm like, oh, he wants to know me more. I would like to know you more too and all that. And this thing had been going on for like six months and just after like after that one random day he's like my this this guy sent me a message like oh i'm thinking about visiting taiwan um yeah would would you happen will you happen to be free if i visit there let's say next month and i'm like um i don't know but i think i can make (laughs) some time for you (laughs) yeah 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 and um so he came Mm -hmm. and that seemed like a really brave uh, move and really good gesture that he came. But the, the the funny part is that when he got to the airport, and it was the airport close to Taipei, the capital, but I live in the south. So I drove four hours to the airport to see him. And I was all tired and nervous. And then I was with pajama in my car. But then I changed <laughs> to some like better looking clothes and had some makeup on. And then just waiting him up. Like in the, at the in the lobby of the airport. When he came, he couldn't even recognize me. Really? He's just he's just walking around, and I was like waving at him, and he looked at me, and he walked away like <laughs> looking for someone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and, and I'm like, dude, what the hell? Hey, I'm here. Yeah, yeah. So that's a very awkward start. <laughs> yeah. So. Can I say that the Taiwanese trip was where you officially like got together? 
Sorry? Do you count the Taiwanese visit of him, like the official start of your <laughs> internship? Yes, yeah. yes. Well, like he, he, he stayed in Taiwan quite a few days and we drove around the whole country, the whole island. And then uh, I was very happy to not just to know him, but also to uh, like introduce him with so many new things that he had never seen before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but later about that, we talked about it and we were like, um, should we count that time as... Uh, like our first days or something he's like okay yeah I guess it counts yeah so the airport meeting is the official start no <laughs> that that was a very very awkward experience it's very yeah. funny yeah it, it, it's also funny because and that happens uh every time I think if there are some people that have ever been in long distance relationship they will understand is that you could Skype each other you can uh, you know, phone with each other or you can send each other messages. But once in a while, after a few months, when you actually see each other, it's like flesh in front of your eyes and then you're like, wait, this is different. This is, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it even happens to us like several times after mm-hmm. we started our relationship that we can only meet each other each every four or five months and then always the first day that we finally find each other at the airport and we were like "Mm, I'm gonna kiss you on the cheek because I don't feel that comfortable (laughs) like yeah yeah and then we always spend some time like actually look into each other's eyes and talking to each other like yeah so yeah to uh, get rid of the awkwardness Mm -hmm. yeah and how is it going now after such a (laughs) <laughs> um, now, as you say, it was long-distance relationship. Uh, yes. Maybe not really used to be living together, and now we just like go right into it, living in the one same room. room yeah. yeah, yeah. The we, well, I mean, we worked very hard for this to happen. Like to find, I mean, Denmark was kind of a middle point for us to be being able to live together, and uh, it's a bless. And it also makes that it makes you think that this person is not so special anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it, it it happens, but well, not, still very special, but just not in a way that's for long distance couples. Yeah, mm. yeah. I guess it's very different. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Yes, it is. And and maybe to get a little back, like you said, again, you're from Taiwan. He's from Iceland. And now you are left together, so the contact is very intense. You experience some clash of these two different cultures. Oh yes, uh, all the time. For example, yeah. Uh, for example, we eat. We have different diet habits. Mm-hmm. There we eat like Taiwanese cuisine versus Icelandic, Amer, oh, European American kind of cuisine. So uh, we have very different tastes. But we always try to work it together because we actually enjoy like making meals together. Mm-hmm. But like, so it's like about coordination that today he feels like making something more European, then I will go with the flow and the other way around. But sometimes if we end up fighting, we'll have two completely <laughs> different dish on our <laughs> table and I'll just stick to mine and he'll stick to his, even though we know that each other's dish is quite good. <laughs> yeah, that happens. 
Okay. So the clash is all about the food. <laughs> <laughs> the food. Well, I think that's th that's uh, one of the major points because, right. like, I mean, now we're in quarantine, so we cook quite quite a lot. Yeah, but also I would say the other thing is about a completely different lifestyle that we are used to, like, from our own culture. Like, for example, being here, living in Denmark. The most different thing for me is this uh, experience of um, being indoor mm -hmm. and uh, just uh, live your life, live your everyday life at home. Meanwhile, in Taiwan, I had I had a very different uh, experience with that. Like in my when I was in university back home, I my room was this. Uh, this small room with a bed with nothing else mm -hmm. it, it's literally just a, sp a space for you to sleep and mm. other than that i'm always outside like yeah yeah and it, it's it's a culture thing that people are very used to this kind of dynamic like not spending time at home but rather do all all sorts of stuff outside and when i got here it feels like this whole new lifestyle is trying to make me to quiet down and you know lay back and just be at your place and then mm -hmm. they provide you this uh, beautiful student dorm that you have enough space you can do you know like a lot of uh, you can do a lot of things here read at home eat at home which I'm yeah. very not used to I didn't <laughs> know how to cook before I came here yeah <laughs> yeah and how does it work for you does it feel actually calming and relaxing or is it more like a panic that oh I should be doing something and I'm just I, lying I, I experience both at the same time mm. sometimes I feel trapped yeah especially like when there's good weather outside and I'm like oh this is this is the time you should go out but also like I feel very uh, like I feel that I feel like I'm learning more to be uh, to to adapt to this kind of lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that sometimes I look at everyone around me living in my dorm that they're all cozy, you know, staying in sofa, making themselves some like comfort food, and then I feel like okay, that's that's another aspect that I wouldn't be able to experience in Taiwan. Yeah. And jumping back to the Taiwan and also your family, before when we talk. Uh, before we are making this interview, you were mentioning your grandpa, which is a bit interesting story of, of his life. Could you share that with us? Okay. Uh, In some maybe more like simplistic version, because I guess it's complicated to to explain how it happened. In yes. Detail. Yes. I think I think uh, I've wanted to share the idea that. Um, like Taiwan, like such a small country, and we have a, com a complicated historical uh, relation and background with China, such a big country, and um, I think there it has always brought a confusion to most of the foreigners. Like, so, uh, what are you? Are you independent? Are you not? And then it's there's sort of a like the answer could vary if you ask different Taiwanese and then it's because that everyone has different uh, uh, has different way of uh, identify themselves 
and for me it it has all I always had I also had a difficulty when I was younger because my grandpa uh, came to Taiwan from China mm-hmm. like after the World War II and he was a soldier that uh, used to fought for the for the Nationalist Party during the Chinese Civil War so he was against the Communist Party and of course when when the side his side lose they all took refugee to China and Taiwan. no to Taiwan yeah. yes yes <laughs> so he ended up being in Taiwan without his family yeah mm. yeah so uh, when when he when he came to Taiwan, he always thought that this is just a temporal temporary retreat, and then they stayed in troops for months, for years, like for years, just like waiting to fight back. But that never did happen. So he ended up uh, living here all his uh, all, all all his life. Mm. Yeah, and he actually passed away uh, more than a year ago, and then like when we were taking care of the funeral and then we were deciding where to uh, bury him mm. with, with, with his crema- crema- cremation and everything. But the thing with Chinese culture is that you are always buried in a tomb with your family members, but of course not for his case. And so we had to put him into a kind of a public, public uh, cemetery that's built by government specifically for Chinese soldiers. Oh, okay. Yeah, so uh, like that that was a shock thing for me because well obviously that should exist, but I just never thought about that part that you know like like these people they don't most of them they most of them act, are actually alone like they don't have family. I mean my grandpa he married someone and then at least he got us, but there are many uh, people in the cemetery, they're just like very alone. Mm. Yeah, oh, that's quite sad. <laughs> yeah, and when we when we uh, like when we were taking care of his cremation and everything, and then we we wrote him like some letters, and I wish him to go back to his uh, homeland. Mm. It, it's a thing in Buddhism that that says when you die, you go back. You're actually going home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're not going anywhere else. You're going home. So mm-hmm. yeah, so they wrote, you know, letters to guide him, say, to tell him, oh, you've been living in this land for all your life, but you have to remember to go to, to go back to where you belong. And then, yeah, and then like mm-hmm. that that hit me kind of, kind of hard that I realized that this man I've known like all my life. He actually had a completely. Um, like identity and this background, this his past experience that I that I wouldn't be able to imagine, like mm. going through wars and being away from your family, and then you know never meet your family again, and then living in a place that you don't belong to, like all your life. And I think that's not just his story; that's many stories of, um, yeah, like other Taiwanese people of his generation or next mm. generation as well. Mm. Yeah. yeah, that's a very touching story. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, and you were, before <laughs> we were making <laughs> this uh, 
it was very close and all this might have not happened. I hope I <laughs> used the right time here. Uh, how did he actually end up in, uh, in the army? Well, well, that's, yeah, that's also, uh, there's also a story behind it. So he comes from um, this well-off family that back then uh, the Communist Party and the Nationalist Party of China, they were all recruiting uh, young boys into the army all over the country. So his family, in order to hide him away from being taken from any of those parties, they they go they just go to the countryside and then they trade their land with extremely poor farmers for their for their son to replace my grandfather to to participate in the war so they kept him that way till he was 13 or 14 but unfortunately my grandfather he he was a teenager so <laughs> yeah he sneaked out of the house without knowing how dangerous it could have been and then Yeah, with his friends, they they hang out in, in the city center of, of their city in China, and then yeah, that's where he got caught by where he got caught by the Nationalist Party's army, and then they took him into into the troops. Yeah. So the mm. the the last thing that his family know was that. Yeah, your your son's basically missing, and then the last time the people saw him, he was taken away by the by the army, mm. and then that's the point that his family know that we'll never get our boy back. And so that since that point, they like they had never contact each other again, like given well, via mail or something. Like, I don't know. Well, if like it, if he if could, could exchange. Yes, yes, he could, but because back then the like the war, the civil war was going on in China, so. Within the troops, he could send let letters to his family, but the point was that after the war ended and the national parties lost, so they took refugee to Taiwan, and that's the point that it's impossible to send letters mm -hmm. back and forth. Mm -hmm. So that's where they finally lost the contact. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, and it was a separation for 38 years. <laughs> yeah, that <laughs> it's like you. In, inimaginable. Yeah, it's yeah, it, it's like, like yeah, it's like when he could finally go back. It, he's a middle-aged man, mm. retired from the army already. Yeah, yeah, and when he got back there, uh, his family, like, were his family were gone. Like his family, his parents died during the Chinese Cultural Revolution. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So they haven't met anymore. No. Well. Yeah. Okay. Well. Maybe to conclude on a little <laughs> funnier note, <laughs> I would have a last question for you. Um, there, were, from what we found out, you have traveled many places and you have met people from all around the world. You have many, like you said, you keep contact with them via your phone and you're used to doing it that way. Uh, it's quite a common thing nowadays that people have these long distance, not only relationships like boyfriend, girlfriend, but also friends. Yep. Would you have any tip how to deal with that? Any life hack? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, well I, 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 I can't say that I'm really good at it, but I think uh, there is one important thing is uh, like you, d you, you shouldn't be afraid to always trying. 
mm-hmm. to like keep a contact with other people because I actually know how easy it is to just lose contact when you are half a globe away and you're completely opposite uh, time schedule and all that. Like I, I have experienced that with my friends and I have been the person that, you know, like don't answer the message, <laughs> and, you know, like because I'm too busy or I keep forgetting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like yeah, I have I been the person that let go of the, those relationship once before but the good thing is that you 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 can always pick it back if you keep trying and let your friends know like hey i'm here like i'm here not to (laughs) annoy you from your normal time (laughs) schedule you don't have to call me 3 a.m or something (laughs) but it's like it's just to let them know that you're you're there for them even though you're not like a like a physical you're not like physically presenting in mm-hmm. front of them but you know you think of them yeah so don't yeah. be stubborn and don't be afraid to get back to the yes people. yes yes and d- never never be uh, stingy about telling them like how much you you miss about your friends because most of the time like i think the feelings are quite uh, are mutual yeah. that they actually think think the same about you so you just have to like express it be afraid to say that maybe first yeah 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 don't, don't yeah don't be afraid to be the first one yeah all right well, Shen, thank you very much for this well, lovely conversation yes thank you thank you very much that would be it for today thank you for listening we would also like to invite you to our social media instagram and facebook and this week you can find their special survey through which we are trying to find out how many people you actually know Thank you for helping us and have a nice day.